We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. That's how we'll walk away. Aloha and welcome <laughs> to we the Layman's Lounge podcast, a ministry of the laymanslounge.com, where we exist to bring everyday theology for everyday life. And just by way of reminder, we have a we've created a Facebook page called Theology Applied. So if you just go to Facebook, type out Theology Applied, and it's a place for butchers and bakers and candlestick makers, as well as failures, jerks, and know-it-alls. Like this is a place where we want to discuss theology as the rubber meets the road of our lived lives to be theology applied, if you will. So there we discuss things like work, leisure, hiking, sex, beer, art, vaccinations, law and gospel, parenting, self-image, the Avit brothers, and all matter of life fodder. So uh, yeah, join us there. We're not trying to sell you anything. We just want to talk about this lived life. So uh, yeah, check out Theology Applied. So when I grew up in the 90s, I was super into punk rock. This real obscure sort of punk rock that was like, East Bay punk rock from like Lookout Records and Berkeley Gilman Street. And uh, most bands would probably only know like Green Day or like Operation Ivy or Rancid. But anyways, and that was before the internet. So what you would do is you would go and you would buy a CD or, or even just go and you could listen to CDs for free back then. And I would look at the thank you lists of all the bands I already knew. And under the thank you list, I, I would find the nether band. And every once in a while, there'd be like the all the bands I love, they wouldn't think a band, but they would be like some guy. I'm like, who's this guy? And so in the same way, every every book I love or every thinker I love, they always think this guy. I'm like, who is this guy? Th- this couple, this store, Byron Borger, Byron and Beth Borger of Hearts and Mind books. Like who are these people? Why do I see about them all the time? So there's a place in Dallas town, Pennsylvania called hearts and minds books center. Since, since they're opening their doors almost 40 years ago, this brick and mortar establishment has been run by, like I mentioned, Byron and Beth Borger. So you've got CBGB's in New York, which is closed now, but that gave birth to the Ramones and, uh, the dead boys and like good punk rock. And then you've got the Grand Old Opry in Nashville. You've got Jack Daniels Distillery in Lynchburg. You got Wrigley Field in Chicago. And you have Hearts and Minds books. I'm not overspeaking when I say an American institution. I'm not overspeaking. Don't, don't fight me on this. Um, I can't believe you're saying this. This is the most wonderful introduction I've ever had in our 40 years of selling books to be compared to the punk rock icon places like that or or Grand Ole Opry, man, you are overstating it, but no, uh, it's an honor, man. What a what a great way to start this conversation. Uh, we are not that big of a place or that important of a place, but but I'll take it, man. You've given me some great encouragement. This is very nice. <laughs> well, there. So I mean, there's bookstores and there's Hearts and Minds books, and and the tagline of as you can tell, we have Byron Borger here from Hearts and Minds. Is this is their tagline? More than books. Okay, more than books. So what these guys are claiming is to offer you more than books. It just seems like, a, oh, yeah, more than books. Like, oh, and now we need a tagline. What should we say? So we're going to get down to that in a minute of if they really are offering more than books. But um, before we jump in, I just want to, I want to, this is the longest intro ever because I want, I want to make people know what we got going on right now. So Dustin Messer um, said in an article which, by the way, the article subtitle, an ode to Byron Borger. Like, who, who gets an ode while still alive? Come on. He said it best when he said this. You ready for this? I found Borger's vocation to be more similar to a pharmacist than a bookseller. People come to hearts and minds with one deficiency or another. After some listening, Borger prescribes just the right supplement of of Al Walters or Richard Middleton or an obscure gem hidden in a tacky dust jacket. He continues on. Byron is the Michael, ja- Michael Jordan of synthesizing ideas. Each post 
he's talking we'll talk about what post he's talking about each post is rife with connections connections between art and faith between politics and science between gardening and prayer byron is a true interdisciplinarian a renaissance man if ever there was one i don't even think he likes the language so i mean Everyone you know, the people we glean from Richard Mao, Eugene Peterson, Calvin Silva, Oz Gizn, and Steve Garber, literally thousands more have been impacted by, by these labors. I mean, there's even a festrif called A Book for Hearts and Minds from the good folks at Square Halo Books. Um, N.T. Wright's, like, I mean, N.T. Wright wrote an entry and it was so good. There's the long buildup. I'm sorry you had to abide that. He's over here blushing. There's like- I am blushing sweat dripping down his face but i want to make it known that like i mean we've talked to 85 people and this is one where i'm just like i am so so excited so um aloha and thanks a million can you tell us a little bit about yourself and hearts and minds well yeah uh we are in south central pennsylvania a little town called dallas town which is just below york which is down below Harrisburg in the middle of Pennsylvania. Uh, we're there just because our relatives were near there. We did campus ministry in the 70s in Pittsburgh. And uh, this goes back a little bit. It's kind of a long circuitous story, but I hope your listeners would find it a little interesting. We were kind of evangelical kids committed to the mainline denominational churches. I was raised Methodist. My wife was raised Lutheran. We got uh, brethren, relatives. Um, so we're fairly ecumenical and yet kind of mainline. And we went out to Pittsburgh and became sort of more seriously evangelical, clear about theology by being mentored by people like R.C. Sproul, who at the time was in Western Pennsylvania, uh, a Calvinist guy that taught about the, the reformation of, uh, of all of life. And while working for this organization called the CCO, which stands for Coalition for Christian Outreach, the CCO in Pittsburgh, we met some folks who had come down from Grand Rapids, from Calvin College and some of those Dutch reform circles that had been influenced by these old time reform thinkers like Bavink and, uh, and, and Kuiper that you talk about here so much, Kuiperian coffee, how cool is that? Uh, and even philosophers like Herman Dewebeard and Vollenhoven. And so these guys that were coming out of this Dutch reformed reformational worldview language that some evangelicals maybe would have heard of sort of through Francis Schaeffer. This is some of where Schaeffer got some of his stuff. An artist named Hans Ruckmacher taught Schaeffer about all this Dewey-Weird philosophy stuff. And so they came to Pittsburgh and were oddly living in Western Pennsylvania. And so this campus ministry, the CCO, that's kind of like crew or navigators or youth with a mission or I don't know, university. They were sort of like that. But all of a sudden they were engulfed by this conversation about uh, the Institute for Christian Studies in Toronto, Al Walters, you have a piece on your website about Al Walters. Uh, that kind of worldview stuff began to take hold in this campus ministry that Beth and I worked for. And so they became sort of not only doing campus evangelism and discipleship, uh, but also invited college students to think Christianly about their majors. What would it look like for a Christian who is a art major, a science major, an engineer, butcher baker, candlestick maker, how do they relate their faith to what they're thinking in the classroom so they can make a difference in the work world and the practices of being agents of reform in the culture at large? This isn't a Christian just social justice stuff, although that was part of it, not just racial reconciliation, although that was part of it, but it was more this fundamental sense that Christ is the Lord of all of life. And so every academic area, although it may not seem as sexy, is, is like life and death stuff. And so yeah. thinking faithfully about nursing or engineering or architecture or historiography about psychology or teaching became really exciting for us. Well, that's where kind of then it got real interesting because we helped start a conference for college students called Jubilee, which was again about the Lordship of Christ over every academic discipline. A guy named Steve Garber, who you mentioned, Steve Garber became the director of that conference for a while. And after this sort of robust reformational worldview that was somewhat philosophical, I'm not real philosophical, I'm not real smart. So I sort of was like the practical side of that. How do you live it out in the work world? But the philosophers and so forth uh, were all in Western Pennsylvania, starting schools, starting businesses, starting this conference. And we had a baby and said, you know, all of our friends out here in the little intentional community that we formed in the inner city in Pittsburgh, they were all from Western Pennsylvania. And we thought we needed to move back to central PA five hours to the east so that we could be with our family. 
And so we decided, well, what are we going to do with all this excitement in the air and this campus ministry organization and this Jubilee conference? Uh, we said, well, let's start a bookstore that tries to reflect that. So we started a bookstore, and in those days, in the 80s, uh, Christian bookstores were everywhere in North America. I mean, just every town had a couple, and most of them were pretty narrow, and they carried stuff on focus on the family and devotional literature that was fine, mm -hmm. maybe a little shoddy and shallow, but it was mostly okay, but it just wasn't very robust or very broad. They didn't have anything on science or business or politics or environmentalism or medicine, nutrition. I mean, they just had nothing. And so we decided we would start a bookstore, not even call ourselves a Christian bookstore because only Christians go in Christian bookstores. In fact, only certain kinds of Christians go in Christian bookstores. Yeah. So we would just be a bookstore that was informed by this wide as life scope of redemption worldview. And so we had books on science and business and urban architecture and sexuality and rock and roll and just all kinds of stuff, film criticism. And uh, the, frankly, in those years, there wasn't as much. There's been a renaissance in Christian literature and the Christian mind in those years since in the last decades. So there's more of that kind of stuff now than there used to be. But back when we opened, you didn't have an advertising section, you know, or a business section or a science section it was tricky to find thoughtful Christian books in those areas about vocation and calling and farming or whatever. So we opened this bookstore and people would walk in and they would look around and say, hey, is, it, is this a Christian bookstore? We heard there was a Christian bookstore in town. Where's the Christian bookstore? Because inside the door, we had books on art and film and contemporary music and pop right. music and stuff. And not all Christian books either, because just as the Bible teaches, we should read widely. Yeah. You know, even the yeah. characters in the Bible, the Apostle Paul read Greek mythology and plays. Yeah. He was ordering books at the end of his life, you know, from yeah. his letter from Timothy. So yeah. we had all kinds of books in the store and that offended Christians and it confused non-Christians. So we've been sort of an anomaly trying to figure out how to do a Christian bookstore in a distinctive way. And people talk about us like we're really something special, but mostly we haven't quite figured it out yet because we're not very successful. It's sort of like we're too Christian for the, for the world and we're too weird for the Christians and we're too layman oriented for the theologians and academics and philosophers because we're really not an academic store. Uh, we just have books on, on farming and parenting and all kind of ordinary stuff, yeah. but that's what we're trying to do. So that's who we are. We're in central Pennsylvania. We used to do campus ministry. We got this vision of a bigger picture of what the Christian faith is about and what the kingdom of God ought to look like as a rich way of life in the world. And we mm -hmm. thought books could be tools to help promulgate that vision. And so we opened a bookstore that has stuff on farming and science and creation and art. And it, uh, it's a blast. It's been here almost 40 years in this small town called Dallastown. I know that you, people often think, oh, okay, a book about, um, a, like a book written by a Christian about welding. Surely this must be about how to evangelize when you're, when you're done welding or how to take your profits from welding and send them to the frontline real worker, Christian missionaries, pastors, or, um, you know, or to when you're not welding, you know, secular items like a, you know, like a, a bumper on the front of like a, a customized truck, you make sure to dedicate your welding um, skills to like the church and help that that is, are a lot of people's default notion of a Christian welder. Um, but there's a line, I don't know where I read this, it might have, I mean, th there's a book, another, I'm going to reference another book here. From Square Halo Books, uh, edit, edited by Byron, called Serious Dreams. So much good stuff. Garber's in it, um, Nicholas Wolzersdorf, and uh, it's and you have two entries in here, and so I don't know if it's from that or one of your articles or whatever. Or um, but this is what you said, and this is so this is good here. I was trying to think where I could squeeze this line in just because it's that good. So I'm just going to get it out of the way because it's glorious. You said. We don't necessarily need to find a quote, quote, spiritual epiphany while enjoying the beauty of a red sun, sunrise or a red wine. And I'm going to add, you know, welding, right? Yeah. Um, God made these things as gifts. That's enough. We don't have to, quote, do evangelism, end quote, at work in order to affirm that our work is deeply meaningful and relevant. We don't need a sight of, <laughs> this is so good. We don't need to cite a Bible verse to affirm an insightful movie or an enjoyable pop song. Um, Byron, that, that is revolutionary for so many people. I mean, that's just been your life for 40 years. 
But that's new to me as of maybe five years ago. And when I heard things like this, I, I, I was like, oh, wow, Christianity isn't just about massive Christian activity, like mass evangelism or whatever, which I love to do. But it's more than that. I mean, things like this got me so excited. So um, on the heels of that, I'm going to say that I had to mention the tagline for Hearts and Minds. And it's this Hearts and Minds books more than a bookstore. So it, it's not just there for like aesthetic reasons. And, and I can attest to it. You you guys bridge gaps and you take on each person who reaches out to you with literally all the sincerity in the world that it almost makes me cry. Just as a side note, I had, I had just so a listener could go. I had written Byron recently about some children books and I, I thought, and I read the response to my niece because it was, or uh, my sister, because it's for, for my nephew. And we were both almost crying. We're like, who is this man who takes this much? Who is this guy? A- anyways. Um, well, you, it's a joy to do that too, because, you know, we're trying to talk about bridging things, uh, mm-hmm. the, the different sorts of faith traditions and the Sunday, Monday worship and mm-hmm. work connections. But there's also, also this sort of thing of trying to redeem the technological or the electronic e-commerce space. Yes. You know, you got algorithms at places like Amazon that don't know you at all. They pride Mm -hmm. themselves in being faceless. And I think at the end of the day, although that's convenient, it's sort of the American God of efficiency and speed and convenience, and it becomes dehumanizing. So we're trying to sort of do the online thing. Our, our, Our website does not have our inventory listed. And you can't just click on stuff. You have to write to me and ask, do you have this book? And I have to write back and say, yes, we do. And it just burns some people out because it's so weird. But we're online, but we're trying to humanize that space as if you were in the store. And it's Mm -hmm. terribly inefficient. And I'm not sure if it's very aesthetically pleasing. But for us, it's a joy to actually interact with people and have them ask us questions. And I ask them right back, well, what kind of a reader is it? You know, I want a book. Somebody will say, I want a Bible study you know, on Corinthians. And I don't know if they mean because they're a, 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 an MDiv student writing a paper mm-hmm. or, or they're an undergrad or they're doing a Bible study with high school kids. I don't know mm-hmm. if they mean a little booklet or if they mean a commentary or a serious academic commentary. So I have yeah. to ask them, well, who's it for yeah. and what do you mean? And then they write mm-hmm. back and it takes forever. But at the end of the day, it becomes sort of a more humane tr- inter- interaction, at least for us. And it's hard. And I stay up really late writing lots of emails to people, mm-hmm. but it sort of is trying to redeem this e-commerce space so people can buy books from us, even though it's a little harder to do that because mm-hmm. we think we're sort of humanizing it, if you will. We think that the norms, to use Stuyvesant's language, sort of the norms for business and the norms for interaction, I think, demand a human interaction. It's sort mm-hmm. of... It, the mail order thing has got to be more humane. And in a, in a world that's increasingly frazzled and dehumanizing, mm. uh, connecting with customers in that kind of way. So I feel like you're a friend, even though this is the first time we've laid eyes on each other, yeah. but we've yeah. corresponded back and forth so much. Yeah. And I feel that way about so many of our customers. Wow. Um, we got a no, gift today uh, in the mail of some jelly that a customer sent us that she had made <laughs> just because I had helped her with something. And I thought she already paid her bill, but then we got some uh, coffee beans too from a guy up at Penn State that's a new roaster. And he just sent me a bunch of coffee because I had helped him pick up Bible study. Oh, uh, man. So yeah, the, the human scale correspondence is is uh, is fun, mostly fun. And it's it's pretty much a joy to help yeah. help connect people with the books that are going to help them most. Yeah, I remember when I you know first wrote out to you and it was like a two, a two like equivalent, like a two-page response, like curated for me of books and some i guess were on the would be on a similar amazon suggestion but most weren't because amazon just can't quite connect they can't read your brain they could only you know but you really got there and i thought and when i first heard back from you i thought wow he really rolled out the red tape for me i must he must really like me i'm like but how can he like me i just asked about some books come to find out dear listener everyone gets Everyone gets the red carpet. Like everyone gets the, did I say red tape earlier? Everyone gets the red carpet. And I, I mean, it's so, so there's been two layers of my interactions. So on our website, Layman's Lounge, we, we, when I first created, I set up this thing where 
it's an Amazon affiliate. So at the bottom, if I'll, you know, I'll interview someone and at the bottom say, oh, you could buy their books here and I will post the books and links and I get a, a cut of the, a portion of the books that are sold. And then um, just after hearing about you and, and seeing a lot of people I love say, hey, quit buying from Amazon, buy from our, buy from the household of faith, buy from brick and mortar people. And I thought, you know what? That's right. And they were all always referencing you. And I thought, you know, like Amazon's trying to like colonize Mars, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's just be real. Byron, Byron and Beth are trying to like colonize heaven, if you will, or th this is king. They're trying to put food on the table and like really taking care of you and your kids. I know it sounds like a bootlicker, but I, I want to boot, like lick this boot because oh. we're supposed <laughs> to honor such men as these. And, and I do honor you and I thank you. So anyways, um, well, can I question. just say one other thing about that? Because you're being so making me blush and so forth. I, I again want to say, I, I, I almost feel like I ought not to be on this show because of the esteemed nature of the people you have on. A couple of my friends, Charlie Cotherman, who talks about that. Uh, you did that interview with the... Uh, Regent College and Labrie and the study mm. centers and stuff and Vincent Baycoat and Steve Bishop over in England as an article and Dewey Beard, I think. I mean, you have these Richard Middleton guys who's a good friend, mm -hmm. but some of the other names are not people I know and they are amazing leaders in mm. a certain tradition and a certain pocket of Christianity. Man, you have really done a good job curating oh. some of the most important voices and I just need to be telling more people about your work. I've just been I don't listen to podcasts much because I'm a book guy and I got mm. and I'm so busy writing emails all day. I can't mm. think if I'm listening to stuff. So I'm mm. not a podcast guy. But when I looked at who you have, mm. it is unbelievable. And I feel like I'm not quite up to that level. Get I'm just a guy selling books that talks about all this stuff. I love that you say the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, because isn't that part of the question is how mm. do you take some of these great theologians and Christian philosophers mm. and even worldview advocates that are kind of heady and, and have them sort of be accessible to more blue collar folks that yes. don't have a deep reading of theology yeah. anyway, yeah. and yeah. begin to have it make sense to people. Yeah. And so that's part of our passion is just helping all this heady stuff that your website represents so well and bring it down into a more pop level. Mm -hmm. And that's both good because I can translate that to ordinary folks yeah. But it's also a little dangerous because I tend to water stuff down and cut corners <laughs> and a little more sloppy than some of your uh, uh, other podcast guests would prefer. Uh, and so our bookstore is a little rough and ready around the edges just to try to help get a foothold with some of this good stuff. And if, and if, uh, if, if I can even get people close, <laughs> taking mm -hmm. one step towards this good vision, then mm -hmm. I'm pretty much happy with that. We used to be more puristic about what we would carry and what we did. Yeah. We were more careful in curating stuff. And now I'm just like, I don't have time for that. I'm just like, this is so urgent that we yes. get this stuff out there. And I appreciate your energy and passion yes, about that too. Yes, thank you. you well, you know, I'm going to, um, you know, I'm going to do that example of like C.S. Lewis. I think it's in mere Christianity when it says like, there's the student learning and confused about the math question, brings it up to the teacher. And the teacher's like, well, that's the least of your worries. You got to do this, this, and this. But he asks his like his friend, guy sitting next to him is, oh, you do that here. I'm not going to name names, but a lot of the people we've had on, they're like, they don't know what any of this, like, I love him, but they, sometimes they don't know, like, I really am just like me personally. Like I, I I'm not like a, I'm not like a pastor. I'm not, I'm, you know, and then like the co-host who's not here today, he sells appliances and my wife is just a busy mom, you know, and I'm a grouchy dad. So anyways, that's why I think that's why you are good for us. And I did want to add that now at the end of our interviews, I, I put a link to you. And it's so funny because like you said, and reader, hear this. There are not, when there's a link for a book, it's actually not a link to the book on Hearts and Mind website. It's a link to a contact page. And I used to like, that was the only part I'm like, oh, it's so cumbersome. But I realized you guys that's actually the beauty in it. That's how they are more than a bookstore. It's like, because when you email, I'm not saying every email is going to get this insane response, but there's going to be an email that actually is considering what you're looking for. And, and so anyways, I, I just love that. Thank you that so much. And um, as a side note, I think there is, this is a really nuanced, but there's a place in Utah, a bookstore called the Utah Lighthouse Ministry with, it's run by Sandra Tanner, and they're um, all about 
like Mormonism. And they they were also more than they're still running. Sandra's still alive and she still runs this. And they they were more than a bookstore too, as far as it's all Mormon, like ex-Mormon stuff or whatever, just uncovering and and really bringing to light. And they were they were the sort of in the same spirit. And so I also want to commend them to you if you if there's anyone who are interested in Mormonism or a Mormon family. Um, so can you can you tell us some of the um just as like maybe just the last 40 years or la- recently what books have like sold and earned almost like a cult like following like like people like this like oh wow this is really and and you approve of it you know <laughs> oh that's a complicated question uh, again because our bookstore one of the ways we've been able to survive and i believe this deeply is that uh, we need to be more ecumenical. So we carry stuff and have relationships with mainline denominational folks, with Roman Catholics. We read contemplative spirituality. I read Mennonite nonviolence. You know, I read high liturgical stuff and 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 Southern Baptist stuff. So uh, you know, from the Black Church to the Dutch Reform folks, we have a real diverse readership. And so I, our motto is something to offend everyone. <laughs> like we just really put all kind of diverse books out there that we think are helpful. And so this pocket of folks will really like this book and this gang of folks will really like that book. Mm. And some days those people are visiting in the store at the same time and they both think like they understand us really well. And so uh, it's really kind of fun to watch some of the sparks oh. fly when some of the diversity begins to actually that we, we embrace the, the union that we have in Christ, the unity wow. in Christ. So uh, that's just sort of sort of said to say because it's hard to pick bestsellers with us because it's among whom, <laughs> among which crowd, among which group. Wow. But, but I'll tell you just a couple of things over the last couple of years. Without a doubt, one of the biggest selling books we've had in the last year or so is this wonderful, winsome, well-written book. And I'm I'm a little self-congratulatory in putting this out there, I guess. But this wonderful book about Eugene Peterson. It's called A Burning in My Bones by Wynne Collier, who is a, a customer and a friend. And, and Wynne wrote this biography. It's the authorized biography of Eugene Peterson. And Peterson was a customer of ours. He lived in Bel Air, Maryland, about an hour south of us here. Uh, we're in Southern Maryland, so not that far, far from, uh, Southern Pennsylvania, so not that far from Northern Maryland. And so Gene um, was a mail order customer, particularly when he was writing the message. I sent him Calvin Cerro books, connected him with Calvin Cerro because he does really, really amazing translations of Old Testament texts. And la- they, later they became friends, but I was sort of happy that I introduced yeah. Peter to Cerro. And then he went out to teach at Regent in British Columbia, and he continued to order books from us. Uh, and then he retired in, in, uh, in Montana where he grew up. Well, Wynne Collier tells this whole story and it's just a beautiful memoir. I like biographies, not a memoir, biography. I like biographies and I like memoirs. And Wynne's telling of the story is so good because they're really simpatico. They love literature, they love writing, they love the deeper kind of more thoughtful stuff but rooted in, in really an old school evangelical faith. He was raised Pentecostal, you know, yeah. Peterson was. Uh, became mainline Presbyterian, but is a, uh, evangelicals particularly liked him. So anyway, I, I really think that's been a book that has been one of our biggest sellers of, of the year, without a mm. doubt, uh, mm. a burning in my bones, a biography of Eugene Peterson. And that's pretty cool, too, because it does uh, speak to a variety of places within the church, mainline denominational folks and evangelicals, scholars and lay people. I don't know anybody who hasn't really enjoyed that book a lot. Yeah. So that's one. There's another book that you mentioned a guy, he's a dear friend, and this is a really an acquired taste, but Steve Garber's books are just, people are passionate about them. Once they discover him, and if they like, like Garber, mm. he mentions us in, my ver- in his very first book called A Fabric of Faithfulness. Mm. He interviewed a whole bunch of young adults in their late 20s, 30s. I guess you'd say almost pushing midlife. I was one of them maybe in my 30s. And he said, what happened to you when you were 20, when you were in college and got excited about the faith and developed this robust vision and heard about a worldview, and you were going to live this radical Christian life with idealism and zeal. And that's how you lived when you were 21. And you're still doing it when you're 35. Like how 25 years later, are you still into this? Because some people have fallen away and either adopted the sort of secular worldview of the culture, they've drifted from faith, or They've just kind of become a Sunday Christian. They go to church. They still sort of believe, but they've lost that 
worldviewish yeah. radicality. Yeah. And, and Garber found people who felt that were keeping that dream alive and asked him what happened to them. And everybody he interviewed said the same three things that they were committed to in their 20s, that they learned in their 20s. So he wrote a book about those things and how they're mm -hmm. things that our culture doesn't particularly believe in. And that book is called The Fabric of Faithfulness. The next one is called The Visions of Vocation, particularly around the faith and work conversation, as you know. And Steve uh, really uh, says to people, how do you keep on keeping on? This question again, that Steve always has of how do you live what you know, what differences it make and how do you endure once the rubber hits the road and you realize you're not gonna bring the kingdom come overnight. It's God's business in this fallen world. You'll mostly have to suffer through some things. Mm -hmm. And so how do you keep on keeping on? And he says, well, if you have a strong vision of vocation that you're doing this out of the joy of the Lord for the sake of the common good, you will mm -hmm. endure. So that's his second book, The Visions of Vocation. Mm -hmm. The third book he did is, is, uh, is called A Seamless Life. In fact, I had one. I had one right here. It's called a seamless. You're not seeing it in the in the in the podcast. But the seamless life is a tapestry of love and learning, worship and work, and it's sort of little short pieces, relatively short. They were Facebook posts, I think. And for Garber, every one of them is worth the price of the book. He's eloquent about how we have this integral life. He knew um, some of these Dutch Reformed philosophers, Al Walters and Calvin Serfield, in his young adult years too. He spent some time at Labrie. So Garber gets this stuff. But again, he was raised in, out west on a, his, uh, his father was a scientist in California, but his grandfather was a, was a, 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 a cattleman. He had a ranch with cattle and mm -hmm. is just a, a farmer, you know? So he would go to so Southwestern Colorado and hang out with his father every, with his grandfather every summer. Mm -hmm. So Steve has sort of some blue collar roots there too. And it's just glorious to see his writing. And once people enjoy Garber, they really do like him a lot. So that's somebody who is really sort of a, an icon for us. Another person, I hate to say it, I, mean, I don't hate to say it, but it's true, N.T. Wright. I mean, right, left, and center, people are appreciating. Every, not everybody agrees with all of his stuff, but we know N.T. Wright from way back. One of my best friends is Brian Walsh, who wrote The Transforming Vision and a book on postmodernism and a commentary on Colossians. And Brian uh, was good friends with N.T. Wright. His first really big fat book, N.T. Wright's book, is dedicated to Brian Walsh. And so Brian has been telling us about N.T. Wright back when, before he had written any books. Mm. Well, we eventually had him at our store in little old Dallas town. And when we told people we had Tom Wright come in, they thought, oh yeah, ha, that's pretty funny, like in Dallas. Uh -huh. We said, actually, no, he's, he's actually coming here. Preached in our backyard to about 300 people. Uh -huh. um, so Tom Wright's books have meant a lot to us, not so much his academic stuff, although that's important, hmm. but his more kind of ordinary books like Simply Christian or hmm. uh, Surprised by Hope, his book on the this being a follower of Jesus called Following Jesus, his book on worship is beautiful. So he has some little thinner, smaller hmm. books, and we love selling those to people. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, mainline denominational people, evangelicals, reform folks, non-reform folks, no. everybody can find something to appreciate in N.T. Wright. Uh, not everybody agrees with all of his stuff, but mm -hmm. that's somebody that we just take any book tables we do where we go out and sell books at conferences and stuff. We'll mm -hmm. take N.T. Wright stuff and, uh, and inevitably find good conversations around that too. Yeah, yeah. So that's just a couple that we would talk about a lot. Jamie Smith comes to mind. As somebody yeah. that lots of people are reading. And again, yeah. Jamie was sort of part of that same community at the Institute for Christian Studies, studied with Brian Walsh. And now he's sort of a thing. He's a, he's a force to be reckoned with, an editor mm -hmm. of uh, Image Journal in the Arts, mm -hmm. professor of philosophy at Calvin, and mm -hmm. has written books on Augustine. Mm -hmm. So uh, Jamie's a good friend and a, and a, and a person that we tell uh, people to read his books everywhere we go. And people seem to know who he is outside of just our little kind of neo-Calvinist Kuyperian circles. Yeah. Other people know who he is too. Yeah. A side note, for some reason, Jamie Smith blocked me on Twitter and I have no idea why. <laughs> you got to ask him why. Is it, why you block Layman's Lounge, man? <laughs> did, you, uh, did you criticize him? Never. I was a bootlicker. I I've, he, like, he's one of the Probably an accident. People. Probably like just an accident. He has like, are you allowed to only have a certain number of followers? I know in Facebook, you can only have a certain number of friends. And you start <laughs> like, if you want to get new friends, you have to kind of delete people. So who knows <laughs> what it is. But um, that's funny. No, hey, yeah, if you haven't talked to him, if you tell him you've had Richard Middleton on your show, 
I mean, man, if you've had Charlie Catherman, if you had Matt Kamen, I can't imagine that uh, Jamie wouldn't appreciate that a lot. Uh, so I used to, when I was younger, the book I'd buy for everyone and give away was Mere Christianity. Then, um, you know, the Tim Keller books. Yeah. Sort yeah, yeah. of the last 10 years. Um, you know, and right, I think the last book I gave away was, um, actually, you and I have discussed it. I'm trying to remember what it's called. It's called like a, Oh man, it's um, by Matthew B. Redman. And it's like, I'm going to remember, it's like, you know, something about being ordinary or whatever, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, that's sort of, that's, that's the book. I only gave one away so far, but that's, that's probably the one I'd give away. If, if you were to like, you, you know, someone who's like, yeah, I'm a Christian, I go on Sunday, and you just kind of wanted them to like get a reminded of the big picture or what matters, what might be a book that you would, uh, you would give to them well there again it would depend who he or she is and kind of mm. what their interests really are there's no just one size fits all i mm. think garber's little seamless life is a lovely little book that invites people to just be a person of integrity that relates sunday and monday and work and worship and connecting and caring about the world and living well and reading good books and watching good movies. Like, I just am really inspired by that, but it's a little academic and not everybody likes how Steve mm -hmm. writes, I sure do. Um, mm -hmm. If they're a college student or if they're older, um, what are, you know, that boy, I should have that off the top of my head, but um, I, I have to think about that a little bit. Okay. Usually, usually you've got to size a person up and sense what kind of flavor of stuff they like. You know, Rich Villadas has this book called A Deeply Formed Life Lately, mm -hmm. uh, just about spiritual formation and stuff. And a lot of people really like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I, one of my all-time favorite books, if, they, if they're a reader and if they like sort of halfway serious books, The Call by Oz Guinness. The chapters are short. There's a little prayer at the end of each one. It's not as intimidating as some people think it is. Mm -hmm. But Oz Guinness's The Call is one of my top three or four books of all time. Okay. If they're a college student, there's a book called Learning for the Love of God by Derek Mellaby and Don Opitz. And it's about seeing with a worldview and caring about your academics and loving God with all your mind in the classroom. It's whimsical and fun and upbeat and clever. Uh, it has a little liturgies of learning at the end. I would give that to any college student that wants to sort of make sense of their academic mm -hmm. world in a way that is not intimidating or heavy or hard. Um, I like, I like Tim Keller stuff. You know, Tim Keller's little encounters with Jesus is a, mm -hmm. a great little book. There are people that Jesus met in the gospel of John. And I think it's under appreciated. His little commentary on Mark used to be called King's cross. Uh, you know, that, that's a great little book mm. um, for, for people that are just sort of into the, wanting to a little bible study sort of guide them into mm. those sorts of things so I'm, I'm gonna put these um i'm gonna notate these books on the show notes for those of you want to check out and then obviously you could reach out to byron and check those out and uh discuss you know what you're looking for um well, can i tell you something else jason for your audience for people that sort of have heard of a little of this kind of stuff mm -hmm. about the scope of redemption and the unique integral life mm -hmm. of a christian that lives in those mm -hmm. sorts of ways there's a book called The Discipleship in the Present Tense, which is a collection of short pieces by Jamie Smith. It's published by Calvin College Press, so it's hardly known at all. And they're short essays, and many of them are absolutely beautiful, kind mm. of about creation and fall and redemption. Um, that sort of uh, short essays by James K.A. Smith. Mm. I love that book. And uh, some of the essays I go back and read and reread, and I like them a lot. Wow. Okay. I never heard of that one. I thought I was steep. So thank you for that. Um, you know, another book we always start with, with people that just want a, a well-written book about the Christian faith that isn't sort of into this Dutch neo-Calvinist worldview stuff, but it's just a good solid book. It's, just, it's, it's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction yeah. by Eugene Peterson. It's a quote from Nietzsche of all things. The subtitle is Discipleship in an Instant Society. It's the Psalms of, 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 uh, of Ascent. 
the mm. reflections on the Psalms. He has another one called Run with the Horses, which is about Jeremiah. Those are always good books that get people reading slightly deeper, better than stuff than maybe what they're used to. Yeah. Not to put down Max Licato or anybody like that, but it's just bumping it up a little level. It's yeah. literary and thoughtful, informed by good sources, but it isn't the least bit academic or dry. So mm. some of the Eugene Peterson books are good like that. Sure, sure. What, okay, what really is a theology of reading books? Like what, what, what is good, like Coram Deo, for my mind to have further understanding of things that are Christian if I'm already saved, if you will? Like what, what should be the desired outcome or what, what's one's motivation? Well, that's going to take two hours to answer well, but in a, in a nutshell, and I do whole workshops on this, but in a nutshell, I think we'd want to at least say this, the Bible calls us to love God with all our mind. I mean, it's just one of the big ones, you know, we love God with our mind. So what we do with our gray matter, what we do with learning, what we do with our curiosity, how we nurture our thinking uh, is part of Corndale, it's worship. And so we want to learn and books are tools to do that to learn and grow. It's the same reason we listen to sermons, same reason we go to school. You know, learning is a good thing, and that's rooted in the Christian tradition, Protestant and Catholics. Nobody denies that having a good mind and learning about the world God made is a good thing. So we love God with all our minds. So learning and reading, Lectio Divino, the old monks used to call it, it's a slow reading, which is not so much for content or information, but, but for formation. You know, you read slowly so you can learn and grow and eat mm. this book, as Eugene Peterson puts it several mm. times in the Bible. It says to eat the word. So you right. absorb it and chew like a cow with its cud. And mm. so you're reading and learning not just to be smart in some worldly way, but to allow yourself to be shaped so you're the person who cares about the things that God cares about in his world. So mm -hmm. learning is an act of worship. I think learning is an act of discipleship. We're called to grow as disciples to be sanctified in holiness, to be shaped in the ways of Christ, and to learn the content of the faith. It isn't all just sort of values and character. There's some stuff we got to learn. And if our faith includes living it out in the work world, if we've got a career, then knowing the craft, the history and the development of your field, what it means to think faithfully about that, what the Bible might say about it, how a Christian worldview might inform it. I mean, we got work to do if we're going to be Christian nurses instead of mm -hmm. nurses who just happen to go to church. If we're going to be engineers who are informed by a Christian understanding of technology instead of just engineers who happen to be Presbyterian, mm -hmm. if we're going to be, you know, uh, you know, whatever business people who are Christian business people and not mm -hmm. just Christians who happen to sell stuff. So mm -hmm. this integrated vision means we got some learning to do as part of our discipleship. So this isn't some sort of add on for smart people. All of us have to make our way in the world and figure out what it means to serve God 24 seven. Mm -hmm. And that means we got to learn some stuff. And unless they even listen to your podcasts or have some spectacular preacher, probably they've not been challenged to do that very much. Yeah, and yeah. in a certain sense, Jason, I don't think it's our pastor's fault. I mean, like my pastor can't tell me what it means to be a Christian business person. Mm. It's not his or her job to, yeah. to inform me about my career. You can't expect your pastor to know about science and engineering and art yeah. and communication. They're not, they're not, they're pastors. They open up the scriptures and invite you to the kingdom of God and give you yeah. word and sacrament. And, yeah. and then you've got to work out your salvation in fear and trembling as it says. Mm -hmm. So we all need mentors that help guide us to think Christianly about our practices in the world, mm -hmm. whether that's parenting or politicking, whether it's our citizenship or our work life. And so we need to find people. Well, I don't know about you there in Hawaii, but I don't got that many friends and I got a lot of great friends, but I don't got that many friends around me that can come alongside me and teach me how to live like that. Yeah. So yeah. I need books. That's what books are for. They're tools for discipleship. And if we have a broad vision of whole life discipleship, mm -hmm. then the task is that much harder, or I would like to say that much more exciting. I mean, yeah. who wants to be bored with a narrow, yeah. puny Christianity that you can yes. figure out in a day? Read your yeah. Bible. Don't have sex before you're married. Yeah. Tell yeah. people about Jesus and go to church. Okay, yeah. good. I got that. What do you do next? If you want to go to the next level of whole life discipleship, then it's harder, but it's an easy yoke. You know, it's not an extra burden. This is just deeper in and farther along, and it becomes more fun, more exciting, mm -hmm. but it is more daunting to figure out a Christian view of this or that in the work world or in the political space, or in your family life. And so mm. we need mentors, real ones, but we also need books that are tools to help us with whole life discipleship. 
Um, I think great. another reason that we read is I think books are missional. It's a we read as an act of mission. I mean, again, you think of Acts 17, where Paul is on Mars Hill, Mars Hill quoting, you know, Greco-Roman plays. And he looks at this poetry on this sculpture. I mean, it's like an art piece, some sculpture there in the coffee house at, at Athens. Mm. And he looks at it and he goes, I know what that poem is. Mm. Want to talk about it? And at the end of Acts 17, he could have yelled at him for their right. idolatry, but he yeah. builds a bridge. We kind of call it cultural apologetics. Yeah. And he builds a bridge. And at the end of Acts, they say, will you come back and talk to us tomorrow? <laughs> I mean, that's sort of what, so when Harry Potter first started, we think fantasy and writing is a good thing in God's world. And we can make an argument for that, but we carried Harry Potter. But some of our more conservative customers said it was demonic. Mm. Hey, I hate the devil. And if it was demonic and occultic, I would not carry it. Yeah. But it's not occultic, it's fantasy literature. So mm. I went to this one customer who said, I will not come back here anymore. She was a good friend and had shopped here a lot, homeschooled mom. But mm. she said, I will not support a store if you carry Harry Potter. And I said, oh, look, how about this? At least read Harry Potter because your children's neighbors and playmates are reading it. Mm -hmm. And so if you can at least read, hold your nose if you feel you have to, but read through the eyes of faith and then host a Harry Potter book club in your house with the neighborhood kids and try yeah. to talk them out of it if you want to. I mean, That's if you feel it's bad stuff, but at least engage them. Don't just become like a Amish person and turn your back on the world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, she wasn't having that at all. <laughs> but I think that's sort of what I mean by that, that books yeah. become tools for building bridges. I mean, I, I have a Christian friend at Charlottesville uh, who's done some writing about these kind of things. And he says Christians should watch the Academy Award winning films every year because yeah. these are the stories that our culture is telling about itself. Mm -hmm. And if the Academy Awards mm -hmm. are in some way the best films that are out there, mm -hmm. we are obliged to know them, to know what mm -hmm. our neighbors are mm -hmm. saying and watching and appreciating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's some limits to that not everybody's called to that kind of cultural apologetic but no. if you want to reach your sophisticated neighbors you got to know what they're reading know what they're watching know what they're doing and engage them lovingly with the, some mm -hmm. insight about that and yeah. i swear that's what paul was doing in act 17 so good he bought that greco-roman play euripides or whoever it was he bought that book from somebody and so when we carry non-christian books and people yell at us i'm like I'm just doing what Paul would have done. So, Some yeah. books about the culture, and you may not like them, but you ought to read them anyway. If they're on the Oprah Book Club or the Witherspoon Book Club, you probably ought to know these books if you care about your neighbors at all and want to enjoy uh, engage them in some kind of conversation about the uh -huh. stuff they're reading and the shows they're watching. So that's part of what books are for, are for tool. Mm -hmm. So they're acts of worship, they're acts of discipleship. I think they're acts of mission. Yeah, yeah. I want to... Like all those things made me, one author came to mind who I know you also really appreciate. And I, since we're like, this is a plug in books episode, I highly suggest John Tyson. There's a book called A Creative Minority, which is just a little one. And then The Burden is, the burden is Light is another great book. And then um, a book that they just put out called The Intentional Father, John Tyson Oh man, what a blessing that guy's been. So, and I know, and I know, I know that you appreciate him as well. I sure do. And that that fathering book is really nice. So it's good. Really it's good. Honestly, a few, only a few things. It's it's brand new, and it's it's changed my. Only a few books have really changed the way I actually function in my life, and that book is one of them. And wow. another book that you always reference is uh, lecture uh, the. Kuiper's uh, Calvin lectures, right? Yeah. That that was another book that did that for me. Um, but I wanted this is what, something I wanted to hit with you. So you like to provide you like to provide us with books that are you know sort of your language tools for whole life discipleship, and maybe sort of a revival and renewal that is somewhat consistent with like neo Calvinism. Argue when when they cite Kuiper as saying every square inch. Amen. So for me, and this is an era I love, like this is like almost, you know, selfish, something I'm always curious about. I'm really excited to go here with you. Um, so many of these great Kuyperians are usually, um, it's culture, but it's usually high culture. You know, it's vocation, but it's usually politics or some real cool, you yeah. know, media thing um, or, or like, you know, an artist or whatever, but I'm what I'm currently cur curious about is the little man, right? You know, I forgot the Dutch word, but the little man in the sense of like yeah. cold beer, leisure, sex, sleeping, yeah. and 
traveling from point A to point B. You know, what they call this stuff idea four or whatever, which I don't think it necessarily is. I and I so I guess I even I have the audacity to agree with Bob Inc. because we just were reading, you know, ethics two from Bob Inc. and you know, Bolt. But what are there any books that hit those sort of things? And do you personally have any sort of um even your own thoughts or what you've gleaned or picked up? Is it basically you could go anywhere you want with that question. That's something that I'm I'm very intrigued with because honestly that's most of us. My mom is not a politician and my wife is not the prime minister. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's, oh man, there's so many ways we could go with that. And I'll just say this parenthetically, not everyone knows our email correspondence, but we were talking a while ago about the spirituality of the ordinary. Mm. Monks, some Catholic folks, Kathleen Norris. I mean, all kinds of people have written about the quotidian present, practicing the presence of God, mm. where God is present in our ordinary life, like Brother Lawrence doing the dishes. And then in practicing the presence of God in that great classic medieval book, you know, they thought they would sort of get to him and make him go out into the marketplace to buy the communion wine. Mm. Uh, and that was sort of the dirty outside in the world with filthy lucre. And he even <laughs> finds God there. So, you know, he washes the dishes and he goes to the store to buy to buy stuff. And he has this sort of epiphany of God's presence, even in the so-called secular. So the practicing the presence of God and the spirituality of the ordinary and uh, the, the sort of sense of God's presence day to day, there's more and more spiritual formation books that are coming out that are about that sort of a creation based spirituality. Yeah. And yeah. that's for whether you're high culture or a blue collar guy, yeah. Yeah. everybody lives their day 24 seven. And so yeah, there is yeah. a sense that whether you're eating or drinking, do all to the glory of God. And mm -hmm. I look for better books about that. I've got 20 of them and, and they're all looking, they're all good, but I, I need more. So that's tell, one place to go. Can you tell us about, um, you know, cause I've already sucked up so much time, but can you tell us about the book lists and you, there's just lists out there floating around that you have done for like vocation there's lists you've done for cult like there's there's lists you've done on so many things how can our listeners like how can they be made aware of books like new books that are coming out your thoughts what you're carrying okay let's come back to that because i want to finish this idea of what about the blue collar folks but mm -hmm. yeah there are lists and if people write to me i can send them lists on topics uh, some of them are custom made that I just made for somebody, but I'll copy and paste them and send them to you if you ask what's a book on being a mechanic or what's a mm. book on cooking, you know, okay, sort of so. ordinary life skills. Or they can subscribe to our newsletter, which is called Book Notes, and that comes out every couple of weeks or every week. Yes. And that's just random stuff that I'm talking about any given week, new books and so forth. So people can subscribe to our newsletter. But this, this question of whether I can provide books on those or not, uh, you know, that th this, this idea that Christ calls ordinary people to serve God also in their ordinary work and not just the higher culture people. I mean, it is true that your wife is not running for prime minister and you're not a politician, but uh, whether you like it or not, you're called on to vote or to make a principal decision not to vote as your case may be, but there's a biblical and theological sensible way to think about your citizenship even though you're not a politician. Yeah. Let's also put it this way. We all have to care for our bodies. So we're interested in nutrition or eating well wow. or exercising or whatever, but we're all not doctors. I mean, I don't have to go become a professional athlete, although I should work out. That's I mean, good. you know, I, I don't have to become a banker, but I've got a financial side. That's so there's good. a financial side to all of our lives. The same way in the arts. We're not wow. all called to be artists. But there is an aesthetic dimension, as Calvin Sarah wrote, it, to ordinary life. And so whether you're rich or poor or fancy or not, everybody sets their table. I mean, you drink out of a styrofoam cup or a china mug. I mean, you, you wow. make decisions about how much money you put into putting, you know, wallpaper on your living room yeah. or yeah. buying a big screen TV or whatever, whether you buy hardback books or paperback books. I mean, everybody makes aesthetic choices mm -hmm. and inviting Christians to be thoughtful about that and intentional about what kind of food they buy, how they decorate their home, what kind of art they like, what kind of jokes they tell, what kind of hairstyle they have. I mean, just fashion and aesthetics are part of everybody's life. That doesn't mean everybody has to think Christianly about being an artist. Everybody doesn't have to be a banker, but we're to steward our money. Not everybody has to be you know, a health nut, but we all have to care for our bodies. Not everybody has to be a psychologist, but 
heavens knows we all need a little bit of relational help and emotional healing right and so we all have to steward our emotions in some kind of way and learn to manage them in a godly way even though we're not all supposed to be developing a christian perspective on psychology but we all got an emotional side of life so we we all are all those things that's a dewey beardian insight by the way this multi-dimensional modalities of and, and a simultaneous realization of norms, as Bob Gowdsworth would put it, that there's all these different sides of life and we should be growing on each of those sides of life. Mm. So like John Ortberg said years ago, somebody asked him, I think it was Dallas Willard, uh, told him this story that somebody said, how's your spiritual life? And he said, well, what do you mean by that? You mean like how I vote? You mean like how I shop, how I work out, my sex life? Like what, what part of my spirit? All of life is spiritual. Yes. I don't have a spiritual life. I just have a life. And so- yes. Uh, you know, there's that book called One Life by Scott McKnight. We only have one life to live and it's got a lot of dimensions to it, yeah. a lot of sides to it. Yeah. So we don't all have to be high level professionals, but we do have to be stewards of the different sides of life, our citizenship, our aesthetics, our emotions and our work, whether mm. it's high culture or low, whether it's professional or common, mm. we still have to steward those sides of our life. Mm-hmm. Now, about the work thing particularly, we have uh, been kind of critical of the faith and work conversation, many of us have, in, in good-natured uh, lovers squarrel, that so many of the books about faith and work are about corporations and big stuff, fancy folks, professional. Tim Keller's book is the cream of the crop, but it was written by a woman, Catherine Alsdorf, who spent a lot of time in a corporation. But what about like blue collar workers? Yeah. And we're seeing a shift in the faith and work conversation, the center of faith and work in Denver or New York or whatever, that they are beginning to talk more about truck drivers and, you know, mm. sales clerks and electricians mm. and this constant conversation that are begin- people are beginning to have about craft. What mm. does it mean to be well, to do well with the work of your hands? So we mm. have some stuff in our work section, not necessarily Christian, but uh, like shop class as soul craft by Matthew Crawford, you know, mm. who's a guy that talks about why we don't have so many uh, shop classes anymore. We all think we live in the information age, but actually somebody has to repair our refrigerators and our cars. And yeah. so we talk more people that know how to work with their hands. Yeah. So there's sort of the theology of working with your hands, a vocation of kind of common craft that yeah. we should work at, whether it's woodworking or, or whatever. Yeah. Live a quiet life and work with your hands, conduct yourself well before outside. No, one thing you made me think is that story you said with Ortberg. Uh, I think it was like so Kanye West a few years ago was like on a late night show and they're like, so what are you, a Christian rapper now? And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm a Christian everything. And I loved yeah. when he said, yeah. I'm a yeah. Christian everything. Yeah, that's um, right. That's nice. So as the, we've been, this is the last question we've been with, Byron Borger um, of Hearts and Minds books. All the every book that he discussed, I made a note. All those books are going to be listed on the show notes. Please reach out. Spend an extra two dollars on books from them and wait an extra two days because again, they're not trying to colonize Mars, and they actually care about us truly. Um, I'm I've been so grateful for you here. Now I know. When the Ramones played shows, they probably, I don't know if they were annoyed that everyone wanted them to play, you know, um, I want to be sedated, like the <laughs> just the hits that everyone loved. Now there's, I'm going to ask you for one of your hits, but I don't know if you'll remember it, but in, in this book that you edited called Serious Dreams from Square Halo Books, there is this, this thing that was just, I uh, really stuck with me and it's about the sons of Issachar. Do you remember? You need me to prime the pump a little bit? Oh, no, not at all. It's you, one of my favorite verses. As we close out, I mean, that really was so, so edifying. Can, as, can we close out with that? Just telling us about the sons of Issachar. Oh, I would love to. Thank you for asking about that. The book, by the way, for what it's worth, um, uh, for listeners that may not know, uh, Serious Dreams is a collection of graduation speeches to be given as a gift to young adults that are leaving colleges. So I went to Christian colleges where commencement speeches were given. I happened to give one at Geneva College on the sons and daughters of Ishakar. So that was how this got started as I preached the sermon as a graduation speech. But then I found Rich Mao had done one at, at Messiah and Nick Walterstorff had done one at Calvin. 
Uh, there's another woman at Calvin, a wonderful woman who gave a uh, graduation talk mostly around a Wendell Berry poem. John Perkins had to be in there because he's one of my heroes, uh, Steve Garber. So I found these folks that had given these addresses to young adults as they were moving out to the world. And they all seemed to capture this same, you can make a difference out there. You mm. can be salt and light in your career as you take your higher learning, don't use it as a passport to privilege, but use it as a service to God's mm -hmm. good and hurting world. So I put those together. I wrote an opening chapter, wrote some discussion questions. And it's a handsome little book. And I've heard people that aren't college grads say that it really did give them this sense of being a Christian everything, of yeah. a breathy inspiration to get out there and make a difference in your life. Mm -hmm. uh, can, do we have time for me to say one more thing about that, Jason? You could say uh, 700 things. I'm looking out for you. I, I don't usually talk like this, but it's true. I sensed God speaking to me as we were editing this book and putting it together. And I wanted to make the forward, the opening chapter, which is actually the longest chapter, different than the rest of the book. And I felt God telling me that all of these chapters were so breathy, so inspirational, so yeah. big picture, so visionary. Mm -hmm. uh, the best was probably Amy Sherman, who did it at Malone College on her book, Kingdom Calling, about mm -hmm. using your career as a way to change the world. Uh, this visionary change the world stuff was so exciting to me, but yet many young adults and many older adults don't have this high experience of getting the corner office and being in a pivotal position where you're strategic yeah. to make a difference in the world and mm -hmm. change the world. So I wrote this, I, to the tone of the first chapter is, you know, you just may need to lick your wounds a little bit. You may need to just move home. You may yeah. need to find a good church, slow down. Don't feel like you got to change anything. Yeah. Just be normal live a quiet life. Maybe yeah. that's what we need to do. Yeah. And, and that's the place to start small rather than big. Yes. You know, we, we sometimes when we are looking at a young adult and they make a difference in the world or something, we say, oh, she really went far. As mm. if like going away is a big deal. Like the farther wow. away you get, you, you really made something of yourself yep. as if like that's the goal. So yep. God sort of told me to start the book with this invitation to a gentle and quiet just get your act together and that's okay. And maybe the best thing we can do is just shed tears about the fallenness of our world and learn to grieve and learn to repair our hurts and learn Same to care for your parents or wherever you live in yeah. your own small town. And that's okay too. So that's mm -hmm. what Serious Dreams is all about. Mm -hmm. But my chapter in Serious Dreams was a talk I gave at Geneva College, which is an old Covenanter school, Reformed Presbyterian school in, uh, in, in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. Stopping the Underground Railroad, by the way. Yeah. Uh, just an amazingly interesting small liberal arts college where there were some of these Dutch reformational speakers in the philosophy program, in fact, years ago. Well, my talk was based more or less around my favorite, or one of my favorite life verses, which is First uh, Chronicles 1232, where God is uh, telling the story there of what is, seems to be kind of like a coup. They're going to make David the king, and it's listing the sons of Ishakar. And in the chapter, if you read it for yourself, it names each one sort of in what contribution they were going to bring to this little coup, uh, what they were known for, so to speak. I don't know. One had spears and one prayed yeah. a lot or something. I don't even remember. And then in verse 32, it mentions the sons of Ishakar and what their legacy was, what they were known for was they understood the times and they knew what God's people should do. And I know some of your listeners have heard that verse before, but it means so much to me at the point in my life when I heard that verse for the first time, I thought, oh, that's, that's it. That's what our bookstore ought to be. I, it was before we cooked up the idea of the bookstore actually, but I want to invest my life in raising up a generation that would be sons and daughters of Ishakar who would both understand the times and know a godly response that they would mm. understand the world and understand the word. And so these sons of Ishakar became sort of a, a preaching point for me, as it often is, of folks that are savvy about the scriptures, that are rooted in the word, that they know what God's will is, but they know how to apply that to the world in which we live. We have people that understand the world and we have understand people that understand the word, I guess. Mm. But sons and daughters of Ishakar are harder to come by. And it seems to me that your layman's lounge, in fact, is trying to do that. Give people resources to help them think about the ancient truths from people like Bob Inc. Uh, into contemporary culture and, 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 and real world stuff today. So people can be sons and daughters of Ishikar who understand yeah. the times yeah. and know what God's people should do. Yes, yeah, That's just what we need. And I think our books can help people develop that kind of wisdom. 
Um, I'll tell you a book that I should have said right off the top of my head uh, when you asked what are some of my favorite books and big books these days that I would give to almost anybody. And it's a book that'll help you be a son and daughter of Ishakar. And, and, and uh, it's by Tish Warren. It is called Liturgy of the Ordinary. She talks about finding God in the ordinary stuff of day-to-day -day life. And it walks you through a day in her life, getting up, brushing your teeth and caring for your body, mm -hmm. having an argument with her husband, having mm -hmm. a meal with her kids, getting stuck in traffic. But at each point, she sort of theologizes about those things, commuting or cooking a meal with your kids or having an argument with your with your people or going to work. I think the chapter on work is very good. Um, she remembers stuff that she did at church. Mm. So she's literally very conscientiously shaping liturgical practices, uh, passing the peace mm. uh, or, or church year practices like keeping Sabbath. Mm. Uh, the, the chapter about being stuck in traffic. She remembers that she keeps Sabbath. Because I rest and I know that God's got it under control. I don't have to work 24-7. We can be set free from that kind of world. We don't mm -hmm. have to live like that because we have built into our lifestyle a Sabbath. Every day, we, every week, we take a rest and trust God to take care of the world. Mm -hmm. So when she's stuck in traffic, she recalls that and says, it's okay. I can do this. I practiced this. So now when it rubber really hits the road, I can do it. Um, when she's having a fight with her husband. She says, wait, I passed the peace in church. I say, peace of Christ be with you to people that maybe I was at a committee meeting that night and had an argument with. I may not even like them, but I practice passing the peace and blessing others in church every week. Now, when it really matters at home with my fight with my husband, I think I got this. I practiced passing yeah. the peace so I can do this. So her daily living, Christianly in the world, shaped by these formative practices in worship, uh, is just to me a fantastic way to talk about all this kind of stuff. Uh, Tish Warren, what's really great about Tish now is she has been asked by the New York Times to write a monthly column. She just issued another one today, I think it dropped, um, um, on keeping silent, on the spiritual practices of silence. Mm -hmm. So Tish is a writer, but this book about the spirituality of the ordinary, man, I'd give that to almost anybody. The only people that wouldn't resonate with it who maybe not have any kind of liturgical worship experience at all and mm. would be lost by her talk about passing the peace or taking communion or mm. kneeling in church or keeping Sabbath or having mm. the church year. Uh, if your church is so utterly free, but at least you've heard of those things most people yeah. have. And so I think at least sort of seeing how a woman relates worship and daily life that, that's a book I would give to almost anybody. And it's one that I would commend as an ordinary way into this deeper conversation of what it means to live quorum Deo uh, and care about the things God cares about by being shaped uh, by things like worship. Thank you so much, you guys. Uh, this is Byron Borger. He and Beth run Hearts and Mind books, and they are really more than books. Um, going to link all this stuff up. Thank you. Hey, as we close out with the Avid brothers, we love them. Thank you for your work, brother. Thank you so much. And thanks for caring about good music. That's fun. We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. That's how we'll walk away. We came to break the bad, we came to cheer the sad, we came to...